So for the past few weeks, um, <clears throat> we've been looking at this book of Philippians, and we've been looking at uh, this book kind of through this broader lens of joy. And one of the things that hopefully we've seen as we've looked at this book is that joy is something that God wants for us. His desire for our lives is that joy is something that we would live with and it wouldn't be something that we are just constantly chasing after. We wouldn't think that it's just beyond buying that bigger TV or getting the promotion or finding the spouse. Joy is something that we have access to now. In fact, one of the verses that Paul writes over in the book of Galatians talks about this thing called the fruit of the Spirit. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. We see these markers of the Christian life, things that people could look at to notice the Spirit's work in us and joy and peace are a part of that fruit. And so we move into this chapter four of the book of Philippians and we read this kind of classic passage on joy and peace from Philippians four. And I wanna invite us to just read it out loud together this morning. So that'll show up on the screen and it begins with these words. Let's read. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we just turned to your word this morning and we ask, Father, that your spirit would just continue to be at work in our hearts this morning. We thank you that you continually work in us and through us and we ask that that would just be a reality as we approach this topic of peace this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, it's interesting time for me coming from Chicago to be a Chicago Bears fan in Vikings territory. Um, I have worked really hard along with my extended family over the past 12 years of my life to brainwash my three kids into being fully committed Bears fans. Um, but if anything was to undo all of our efforts, it was last week's game. I mean, amazing, right? Um, we had just gotten home from Covenant Pines in our all-church uh, winter retreat and we had barely unloaded all of our stuff from the car and the game was already on. And even though we are Bears fans, we would like to think that we were feeling all the feelings of Vikings fans as they watched their team try to win their very first game of the playoffs. 
And this mixture of emotions, this roller coaster ride that we were all on as we watched this clock tick down was just epic. And I just want to give you a chance in preparation for later today to just relive some of the moments of this game. So just check out this video for just a minute. It, it'll tie back to the sermon, I promise. And now 10 seconds remain in what could be a heartbreaking loss for the Vikings and a thrilling come from behind win for the Saints. Winner goes to Philly. Only 10 seconds left. You have to get out of bounds. There's no way you can get the ball spiked. 10 seconds to go. 24-23 Saints. Vikings at their own 39. It's third down. Three receivers right, feel and left. Marshawn Lattimore, 12 yards from Adam. Case on a deep drop. Steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side. videos before, right? We seem to have no shortage of them, but here's where a little context is helpful. Because not only was it a fabulous win, but Vikings fans were expecting their hearts to be broken, right? In fact, they were banking on this rumored curse to come into play again. Because when it comes to game day, and here's, here's where the point comes in, or when it comes to life, it's all about our expectations, right? It's all about our expectations. And when the game turned and it looked like the loss was a for sure thing, Vikings fans were like, well, here we go again. The Vikings fans expected turmoil. They expected to be disappointed, but instead they were able to pull together this epic win and it makes the celebration even more sweet because it's all about our expectations. 
And sometimes as people who follow Jesus, we don't expect there to be as many assaults on our peace and on our joy as there are. But when life gets stressful, when the diagnosis hits, when the computer crashes the morning of your work presentation, when the car dies and you've just got to get to class, when another bill comes in the mail and you just add it to the stack, we have this visceral reaction, this frustration. It is not supposed to be this way. And it's often because we don't come into the Christian life with the proper expectations when everything about scripture points to the reality that our spiritual life is a battle. And if we don't understand that reality and adjust our expectations, we go into the battle what? We go into it unprepared. We go into it without the right resources. John 16, we read a for sure thing. It says, in this world, you will have trouble. In other words, you have an enemy. Trouble is coming. You can be guaranteed that. You can just put it on your to-do list. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is looking for someone that he can eat alive, looking for a family he can tear apart, looking for a future he can ruin before it even stands a chance to get started. He is looking for a church he can divide, a nation he can pit against one another. He is looking for an addiction that he can plant in a 14-year-old that will make the rest of their adult life a struggle. Friends, the devil is busy. And so as we talk about this issue of peace this morning, it's not a peace where we all hold hands and sing songs and with smiles on our faces, but it is a peace that is something that comes from a secure confidence in who God is and his will for our lives. Peace in the armor of God, it comes from Ephesians 6, is our shoes on our feet that help us stand at the ready. It has not with nothing to do, but with a confidence that God has already been doing and will do and in fact has already won. And so Paul in these verses outlines for us how we can live into this kind of peace because trouble is coming. But friends, trouble without Jesus is just trouble, but trouble with Jesus in that there is peace. And these words from Philippians are kind of like, from Paul, this rapid-fire parenting mode, right? He's at the end of this chapter, and just as the teen is about to leave the door, right, to go hang out with their friends for the night, they, he's kind of like, okay, remember to text me, you know, wear your seatbelt, always wear clean underwear, remember you have a game tomorrow, you work at two, like, it's just rapid-fire mode. He's saying the most important stuff, and Paul, in these verses, is the same way, and he starts out saying, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, and I love this verse because how many of us feel like we need a guard on our hearts today? Paul knew what it was like to be physically guarded. He is writing these words and he has been in jail. He was being physically guarded. He was being watched. And Paul is saying, when you have peace, it is like a guard standing watch over your heart. 
And he begins these verses with the word and, which clues us into the fact that there has been something said we need to pay attention to. And there's four things this morning that we can live into in order to have the kind of peace that God gives to us. And here's the four things. The first is that we rejoice in the Lord. The second is that we let our gentleness be evident to all. The third, do not be anxious about anything. And the fourth is to present our requests to God. And at first glance, it would appear that these four things have nothing to do with each other. Why these four things? But as we dig deeper, we see Paul was being so intentional in his language. These four words about rejoicing and gentleness and not having anxiety of giving our requests to God, they're specifically designed to communicate an unordinary response in the face of trouble. An unordinary response in the face of trouble. Do you know this morning that as a Christ follower, we are supposed to have an unordinary response in the face of trouble? Last night as Chris and I were out and we were headed to a movie, we were kind of in the car and we were kind of doing this verbal vomit, right? Great word picture there of just some of the junk going on in life right now. And we were just in, we were in it and we were kind of just talking this through and then all of a sudden we said, you know what? We cannot be the kind of witnesses we want to be in our world if we just kind of throw this stuff out there. And it was a good check for ourselves to say, we need to, be, we need to be pointing towards the joy that is found of rejoicing in who God is. And that's not just like spiritual words, right? It's a posture that we needed to change. Even in that conversation in the car, we needed to say, you know, we need to grab onto this first thing of rejoicing in the Lord. Because our neighbors, friends, that are going through divorce, our neighbors whose families are falling apart and who are struggling right now are not going to gravitate towards who Jesus Christ is if we're just doing our blah. So Paul is telling his people, the first thing you need to do is rejoice in the Lord. And friend, I have to check this in my heart all the time. The second thing is to let our gentleness be evident. An unordinary response in the face of trouble. When the ordinary response would be retaliation. When you want to seek revenge. When you want to get even, Paul is telling us to show kindness. He's saying, friends, be, be gentle with each other. When the expected response is to hurt someone back or to get revenge, we allow God's peace to come and fill our lives when we choose kindness. The third thing is to not be anxious. To not be anxious. The word anxious here is used to describe a lack of concern in the face of trouble, specifically in the face of persecution. I mean, think about that. A lack of concern in the face of trouble. I don't know about you, but when I know trouble is coming, my first response is to like get my defenses up. I'm gonna be prepared, I'm gonna be ready. But God says, when we choose to not be anxious, when we choose an unordinary, unexpected response and decide, I'm not going to be anxious about this, we allow space for peace to come in and to fill our hearts and our minds. 
And friends, I, I recognize today that it is a lot easier to say this than to do it. Paul says to put these things into practice. And I love that word practice because it means you're not going to be good at it at first. You're going to have to work at it. As someone who has struggled with anxiety for as long as I can remember, I know this so well. And some of you might be thinking this morning, if you knew some of the things going on in my life, you'd be lying away in bed awake at night, your stomach in knots. You'd be blowing up at people too, right? Friends, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know all of what you're going through, but I know, I know that we have a God who does. Friends, God sees your worry. He knows the trouble that you face and he gets it. He understands what it's like to go through difficult circumstances. His son, Jesus, as he walked this earth, endured ridicule and testing and difficult relationships and conflict and shame and temptation and ultimately a painful death on a very public cross in front of people who mocked him and called him names. We have a God who has walked in our shoes. God tells us this morning that nothing is worth my anxiety and there are no exceptions. And I'm not talking about kind of an attitude of irresponsibility with our lives or having an I don't care attitude. But why let worry so often motivate our lives, right? E. Stanley Jones said, to live by worry is to live against reality. To live by worry is to live against reality. In other words, God's reality is not the reality of anxiety. God's reality is the promise of a hope in a future. Let me say that again. God's reality is the promise of a hope and a future. Finally, Paul tells us that we need to present our requests to God. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases these words from Philippians in the message. He says this, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come, and listen to these words, will settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. I love that idea. My worry being displaced by Christ. Like worry goes out the door and Christ is allowed to come in and his peace just fills my life. The only problem is, friends, we need to be able to give up our worry in order for this to happen. And I don't know about you, but it is so much easier for me to just cling to my worry and my anxiety. Like a security blanket. Sometimes it's easier to worry about something and let ourselves get so worked up over something than to deal with the issue head on. And as I've watched my kids grow up, one stage that they all went through was that phase when they would say, I can do it all by myself, right? 
And at first, as a parent, you think, oh, that's so cute. Uh huh. Like they're getting independent and they're learning things. And then you get to that point as a parent where you're like, I don't care. And there are some things you watch them try to do and you know there is no way this is going to go well, right? And you feel that frustration and that lack of patience well up in you. And I feel like God has used those moments in my life to whisper in my ear, hey, Colleen, this attitude really never goes away, does it? Because there are so many times in my life I am still saying, I can do it all by myself. And so I cling to my anxiety because I'm so conscious about being independent and strong and being able to take care of business and I don't ask for help. And so often this translates into my relationship with God. And God, the God who created the earth, the God who knows the number of hairs on my head, the God who is the very prince of peace is there saying, I'm right here, unloaded on me. I can carry it, my burden is light, and I'm standing there saying I can do it all by myself. Paul is telling us that the peace of God fills our lives when we just give that up. When we let go of our anxiety, as we present our requests to God, and when we turn our worries into prayers and give them over to God. Friends, we can decide this morning that nothing is worth our anxiety and everything is worth our prayers. That nothing is worth our anxiety and everything is worth our prayers. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound better than stressing out and blowing up and experiencing conflict in our relationships? Doesn't that sound better? And we think it's kind of obvious. And as we sit in this room together, it sounds kind of obvious. But when we're faced with that difficult moment, when we're stressed out, we often find ourselves making the choices that aren't the responses that God would have us to have, like rejoicing and being gentle and not being anxious and taking a moment to pray. Instead, we make the choices that the rest of the world is choosing. We get burdened and we get stressed. We cram more into less time. We blow up in the face of difficulty. We become controlling in situations that are out of our reach. And the peace that God is talking about in this verse is not the kind of peace that comes when we try to align all of our circumstances in the way that we would want them so we can feel good about our lives. That's not the kind of peace that God brings. Friends, Psalms 4-7, David writes, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In other words, David is saying, they only have joy when the stock market is up, when the balance in their bank account makes them comfortable. And he says, I have joy all the time. Because my joy is found in the one that owns all the wealth in the world and will provide for all my needs. In other words, I don't have joy when I'm in the right circumstance. I have joy because I'm in the right relationship. I 
C.S. Lewis again writes, a real Christian allows his mind to run up the sunbeam to the sun. A real Christian allows his mind to run up the sunbeam to the sun. In other words, you let your mind run up the blessing to the blesser. And in this way, we enjoy the beauty of our lives and we experience the goodness, not of the blessing, not of the earthly blessing, but we experience the goodness of the blesser. Finally, friends, verse seven continues on and it says, and the peace of God. And I want to remind you of this because the peace that we're talking about this morning is harmony with God. It's the removal of conflict, the removal of fear. It's satisfaction. It's contentment. And this kind of peace, it stands in direct opposition to what the world offers to us. And I don't know where you're at this morning in terms of your relationship with God. But you need to know that if you are a child of God, you have this dual existence. That you are a citizen in this world, but you are also in Christ. You have a dual existence, citizenship in both. And God says to us, when you face stressful situations, when you face troubles, and if you know me, friends, peace is available to you. And here's the thing. It's a peace that transcends all understanding. And so this morning, I wanna just take a moment. And Jenny is gonna come and then we're gonna close with a hymn this morning. But I wanna ask you, what would it look like to go throughout your day having a sense of peace that just blew people's minds away? that just left them and maybe you just scratching their heads? What would your workplace life look like? In that moment when the deadline is coming and the pressure is mounting and it would just be easy to blow up, what would it look like if you extended kindness? What would your marriage look like in those moments when you would just rather not be existing in the same room? To stop and ask God for his love and his compassion and his peace in the midst of your marriage. In those days when you wish your name wasn't mom or wasn't dad, because you're just being pulled in every different direction and you just feel completely overwhelmed, how would it feel to respond with joy and gentleness? How much better would you sleep at night? What would your neighbors begin to say about you? What conversation might develop in your life because of the peace that you found in Jesus Christ? Friends, this morning, you need to know or maybe you need to be reminded of the fact that it's this kind of peace that's available to you. Let's pray together. God, um, your word is good news for us. It's good news. It's joyful news. But the reality of our world means that we have a lot of situations that pull us in all sorts of different directions. And so God, this morning we remember as your people that we are rooted in, we are grounded in the reality of a peaceful life with you. 
And that doesn't mean we turn our back on the world and on these situations, but we are reminded of the God who has overcome. So God, give us eyes to see that reality. God, give us eyes to see you. We love you and we give you thanks for your son, Jesus, who invites us to life abundantly, a life of peace. In your name we pray, amen.